0: Um, This morning, we're finishing off the book of 2 Timothy. Now, I'm going to apologize in advance because I've been struggling with my voice all week. So I'm hoping not to have a Theresa May moment. Do you remember when she suddenly started coughing in the middle of a speech and all the letters fell off? I'm hoping and praying that won't happen. But if I do need to take a break, I will let you know and it will be obvious. But anyway, let's turn to God's word. We're in 2 Timothy and I'm going to read the whole of chapter 4. to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the working of evangelists, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he has loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Titius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal work, did a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. In my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my right side and gave me strength. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, that the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you as do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you again for the ministry of Paul, for all that he brought to the church, for all that he wrote down and the way you inspired him to write your word. And we just pray that as we look at the end of this letter, that you will be speaking deeply into our hearts and lives this morning. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I set off for for church on Wednesday morning. I was trying to get here first thing. You know, sometimes you set off with all the best intentions, and then things go horribly wrong on routes. Um, And I got to within probably 30 seconds of getting into church when a truck, two vehicles in front of me, turned in the road, blocked the whole road, and started doing this was delivering a skip. Now, I had never realized until I sat watching this happen just how complicated a job delivering and collecting a skip is. This is what happened. First of all, you have to upload the full skip into the new skip. Then you unload the new skip with the full skip in it as well. Then you separate the two, leaving the old skip behind and and the old one on the van. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you know how long it took? Not quite half an hour, 20 minutes, something like that. Now, do you know when you sat there thinking, well, do I turn round and do I try and get to the church from the other side? And then I thought, well, I'll just hit a queue the other way. So I sat there and I waited and I waited and I waited. There's absolutely nothing I could do. You know, some journeys start well, don't they? But they just don't go as planned. They don't go as planned. Now, our passage today are the final words of the Apostle Paul. The final words of this apostle, the final things he ever said. And Paul has been on a journey of faith with Jesus. It's a journey that started on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. And if if you know that event, he had this vision of the risen Lord Jesus who spoke to him. And his life journey is about to come to an end on another road. Fairly reliable historical sources places Paul's martyrdom on the Ostian Way in Rome. Possibly just a few days after he's finished writing. He will suffer the final wrath of the Roman state. Now, I've deliberately left this Open Doors poster up here. If you are here last week, we were talking about Open Doors and about persecution. And Paul was persecuted for his faith in Jesus. But that persecution continues for many Christians to this day. And I think, Nick, was it 15 Christians a day die because of their faith in Jesus? Think about that since last week. 105 people will have lost their lives. The same kind of thing happening as happened to the early church. We need to keep praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But this passage, it really deals with three things. First of all, there is theme one, which is the charge to Timothy in the first few verses. Now this is really an extension of all Paul has been saying about keeping on track, avoiding false teaching, keeping going with the gospel. And in verse one, what Paul does, he turns to very legal language. This is the language in verse one of a legal contract. Does anyone have a legal work contract? I would imagine many of us do, or several. And that means that you have to go to work. You, you can't say, oh, I just don't feel like it today. Roll over in bed and forget all about it. Well, you can do that, but there will be consequences. You know, if I suddenly decide, you know, I'm under covenant um, as a minister here in the church. And if I suddenly decided this morning, I don't feel like preaching. I'm just going to go and sit in the garden and make a coffee. There would be consequences. There would be phone calls that would happen and I would probably have some quite irate people at the other end um, speaking to me. We're under contract, aren't we? Many of us are under different kinds of contracts. And essentially what Paul is saying to Timothy is you are under contract to preach the gospel and to teach about the good news. But it's not an earthly contract, but it's a contract that comes, it's a charge that comes from the throne room of heaven. Of the Lord Jesus who will soon appear and God the Father. And it's this complex, formal language. And the charge is to preach, share, correct, and encourage. There's a reminder in verses 3 and 4 that actually things will get tougher than they already are as the day of the Lord approaches. And then in verse 5, keep your head in all situations. It's easy to lose our head, isn't it? And to get panicked and flustered. But Paul says to Timothy, keep your head. Keep focused on the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Don't get distracted by all these cultures that are are sort of around you, but actually keep focused on the gospel. So if you like, that is theme one. Then we get theme two, which comes in verses six to eight, and that's where we're going to focus this morning, which is all about running and completing the race. And then we have sort of theme three in this passage, which is all those final greetings towards the end, some of which are quite mundane. Did you notice the bit about get my cloak and my scrolls? Just mundane things that actually show that Paul is writing a real letter. There are other things where Paul is still suffering, and then other things where he's longing to see different people. But it's this theme of running the race that I want to pick up on. Now, I can run, believe it or not. I'm not going to demonstrate. There really isn't a lot of room up here. But I can run, but I used to be a sprinter, um, a reasonable sprinter, not particularly good. I can still run for my age and condition reasonably quickly. And if anyone wants me to prove it to you, I won't. No, I might do if you really want to prove it to you. But I've never been, and probably never will be, a long-distance runner. Um, one of the main reasons is I don't particularly enjoy running long distances, so it's not something that gives me great inclination to do it. But the Christian life is never a sprint, but it's a long-distance run. It's a marathon. I know there are some marathon runners in this room. Can you just put your hand up if you run a marathon? Just have a look round in awe at these people who have run 26.2 miles at some point in their life. Amazing achievement. Now, if I were to decide I'm going to run a marathon, I couldn't do it just through willpower. I couldn't just set off now and keep running until I did 26.2 miles. I would have to train. I would have to get my body ready. I would have to get my mind ready. I would have to work out the kind of nutrition I needed. I would have to work out how to keep hydrated. I would only get so far based on willpower and being cheered on by other people. Only get so far. Well, four times in the letters of Paul does he use the analogy as the race as a description of the Christian life. Four times. There's another incidence where the writer of the Hebrews also uses it. I'm just going to put these four different um, passages up there on the screen. I'll just read them out to you. Galatians 2, verse 2. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had been running my race in vain. Galatians 5, 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you, keeping you from obeying the truth? Then to the church in Philippi. As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Hebrews twelve verse one Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The the world that that Paul inhabited, it was a world of racing, a world world of races. If you've been to Rome or you've been to Istanbul, that, that used to be Constantinople, there are these enormous hippodromes where people used to go racing. Not only running races, but they also did horse racing and chariot racing. So the language of the race was something that was very much in Paul's mind and in the mind of his readers. Now, if you want to be an athlete, you need to do certain things, don't you? There is self-denial. You have to make sure you eat certain foods. You have to train well. And you have to get that balance of training and rest. If you overtrain, you'll wear yourself out before you've started. But if you don't train enough, then you won't have the stamina to keep going. And in a sense... The life of the disciple of Jesus is very similar to that of a long-distance runner. We firstly join in, we keep going, we keep going, we keep going until our race is complete. And to do this, we need to be well-trained, well-hydrated as Christians, spiritually hydrated, and we need other people round about us cheering on. You know, sometimes the, the cheering on of people with us is really important. Um, There was a very, very special event happened yesterday. I'm sure you were all um, glued to your TV screens as Stockport County got to the League Two playoff finals. Me and Tim were watching it on Tim's phone. We were in Manchester and we were sort of watching on this little screen. But the crowd played a massively important role. I think they got them over the line as they scored that final penalty and the road to Wembley opened up. You know, we need one another as Christians. We need the cheering on of the other team members. And then, Paul says in verse 8, our life, in this life, our race will be complete and we will be with Christ for all eternity. How about this for a quote from Tony Evans about the race? Unlike an athletic competition, the race for the Christian lasts a lifetime. And I like this. If you're not dead, you aren't finished yet. (laughs) You may be coming to the starting blocks with regrets over personal, family or spiritual failure. You may have stumbled out of the blocks. You may have tripped during the race. You may even be starting the race a little late. But God can help you make up for lost time. He can help you pick up speed in the last half of the race and cover more ground in less time than the average runner. I like that quote. So joining the race. Paul has joined the race of faith on the Damascus Road. That's where he first realizes that Jesus is the Messiah that God has sent to Israel. Um, He does not become a Christian. And this is really important to say. He does not sort of become a Christian in terms of a full conversion on the Damascus Road. But rather, he realizes the truth of who Jesus is. So he's already been a God-fearing Jew, and now he accepts Jesus as Messiah. I think it's important that we get his starting point right. He then goes and spends time with the disciples. And as he hears from the disciples, I'm presuming they chatted about Jesus' life, his ministry, the teachings, all about the kingdom of God. And he has joined in at this point. You see, the first thing we have to do if we want to be a runner in the life of the discipleship is to join in. We have to join in with the race. It's that time of year, isn't it, where sports days are starting to happen in many primary schools. And it's a while ago since I went to a primary school sports day. But I can remember, not not so much when we had our boys at Statham, but when we lived in Epworth, The church there, um, the school there, sorry, when we went to sports days, they would always have a parents' race. Anyone been to one of those sports days where you have a parents' race or, or a grandparents' race even or whatever it might be? And I can remember sitting there, looking around, thinking, am I going to join in? Boiling hot day. It was always hot days at sports days. Am I going to join in? And then I look down and I see that one of the dads is a bit further down, is a football trainer. And I see that somebody else is a really athletic kind of person. And I think, forget it. <laughs> I am not joining in. I'm not joining in to humiliate myself. So I just stay sat there. And I become a race spectator rather than a not a participator. You see, a race watch can be good fun, but it is very different to participating. It is not the same. Coming to church, being in a small group, attending Christian things does not make you any more a participator in the race of being a disciple than me sat there watching other dads running. It makes no difference. We have to say, yes, count me in to being part of this race. And just today, if you're sat here and you have never joined in that race of faith, if you've never said that first yes to Jesus, that yes to his offer of forgiveness, that yes to being born again of water and the Spirit, that yes to saying, I give my life to him, can I encourage you? Join in the race. It's the best race you will ever be part of. It's the race of um, with Jesus, the race of discipleship. And if you want to join in that race this morning, our prayer team will be around at the end of the service. Please go and chat to them, pray with them, come and talk to me, talk to George or one of the other leaders. The race has to be joined to be run. And Paul joins it on the Damascus Road and it finishes for him in the Imperial City. But well, one of the interesting thing about this race is it's also a relay race because the race of discipleship does not finish with Paul. And one of the key themes of 2 Timothy is that he wants to pass the baton on to a new generation. Paul at this point is in his mid-60s, but it's not age that will get the better of him, but it's the Roman state who will martyr him. But he has to make sure that there is a new generation coming up behind him who know the gospel well enough, who know it um, inside and out and are able to teach it to the generation after that, two weeks ago um, was Coronation Day, wasn't it? And I think I mentioned we had a street party on our road, and I was chatting to, to one of our neighbours who was telling me he'd been watching a film on Netflix all about Anglo-Saxon England. And he said a lot of it was set round here. And he was, he was quite impressed by this fact, and he was going on all, all about it. If you are here a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember I had an image of um, the pub in Thelwall, with the words on it, um, this city of Felwall was founded by Edward the Elder in 924, and it was set about that time. Well, I'd learned something new a couple of weeks ago. I learned that the River Mersey was the northern boundary of Mercia, the ancient Anglo-Saxon kingdom of Mercia. Who knew that? Anybody? There's, Andy's there putting his hand up very gingerly, <laughs> gingerly. Here you go. Here is a map. Now, that was exciting, but it wasn't as exciting as this. You can tell how boring I am. Um, As I look out of my bedroom window, I can not only see the Kingdom of Mercia, a little bit of it, but I can also see into the Kingdom of York. And outside our bedroom window, probably about 200 yards away, used to be an international border. And it was there for about 400 years. But you know what? There's only Andy Prescott remembers it. (laughs) Everyone else has long since forgotten. You know, things just get forgotten over time, don't they? Things of the ancient world, things that um, stood for 400 years have long since been forgotten. Why on earth am I telling you this? Well, I think sometimes we forget that we stand as Christians on the shoulders of giants who have gone before us. There is an unbroken line right back to the Apostle Paul of people who have picked up the baton and taken it on, and we do well to remember their stories. There's a book written by John Piper called 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. I'm not going to go through all of them this morning. Um, I'm just going to go through 10 names. Some of them I've added so they won't be in John Piper's um, original list. But these are some of the key names in the history of the church. These are some of the giants whose shoulders we stand on, who have passed the baton over to us. Athanasius lived a long, long time ago. But he said this, he said, let us also make it our earnest care and aim to guard what we have received. He was doing exactly the same as what Paul was doing a couple of centuries later, making sure the gospel was passed on. Augustine of Hippo, I quote him quite a lot, but he was basically a sex addict before he became a Christian. He literally slept with anybody. And then after then, he became such a proponent of grace because he realized God had a lot to forgive him for and God had forgiven him for a lot. And he walked this wonderful life of freedom and wrote books that are like this thick. If you want to borrow one, let me know. And then I'm going to somebody who are unknown, the copyists of the dark ages who watched the coronation and saw the Canterbury gospels. Do you know those were written in the sixth century in Italy and then brought over to this country? And throughout the Dark Ages, many men and women, monks and nuns mostly, um, would sit and scribe out the scriptures, the Book of Kells, the Lindisfarne Gospels, and they would take great care so that we have the gospel to be received. Martin Luther, a little bit, well, quite a big jump now, um, he was the first of the main reformers, justification by faith, we're saved by faith, forget all the trappings that had sort of piled in round the church. William Tyndale, in this country, um, he was somebody who translated the bible into english and the bibles that we have before us today if you turn to 1 corinthians 13 most of the language even in the niv is pure tyndale it's what he wrote it's the way he translated the greek that has had such an influence on us john wesley the great reformer and revivalist who talked about the importance of holiness i'm also going to mention his mother Susanna who was a remarkable woman they had loads of children loads of children and everyone knew in the house when she was praying because she put a penny over her head and sat there for half an hour and she would pray for a family and John Wesley Charles Wesley they were some of the most influential Christians then in this country William Wilberforce the abolition of slavery somebody who realized that evangelical faith on its own needed to change our morals and needed to change the way we thought about one another C.S. Lewis, we're into some people's living memory by this time. Somebody who argued for the Christian faith um, in a most effective way and also wrote some brilliant stories as well. Cory ten Boom, um, the most recent one on this list, who was somebody who just shows us what forgiveness is all about. Incredible ways. And then I've just put a question mark. Who passed you the baton? If you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus, who passed you the baton of faith? Just take a moment, just, just pray and give thanks to God. I'm just going to leave a moment of space. It gives me a chance to have a drink while we're doing that. Just pray and give thanks to God for that person who passed you the baton. So the race is one we've joined in. We do well to remember and give thanks to all those who've gone before us. And the gospel, if we keep sharing it, will get passed on. It will get passed on to generations ahead of us. I was reading something this week that actually said 40 years ago there were some Christians who were deeply concerned that the gospel wouldn't um, stand in the face of modernity, that modernity would um, stop the gospel being shared. Whereas actually it was modernity that didn't face up to modernity, and that's now collapsed and the gospel's still going. The gospel will keep going if we keep sharing it. So let's look about how we keep going. For those of you who've run a marathon, I would imagine it's hard work. Can you nod at me if it's hard work? Yeah, I'm seeing a few nods. It's hard work. You have to not only be physically fit, but mentally fit as well. Um, I could probably think more about a 5K, you know, that kind of slightly shorter run, but even that is hard work. It's hard work to get your body ready for those things. <clears throat> Hydration is key. You can't run for long without replenishing yourself. Keeping going as a Christian is actually tough at times sufferings may knock at the door of our hearts we may have problems in churches we may have our own lack of self-discipline and we just get out of the habit of reading God's word or praying or meeting together but Paul reminds Timothy of the need of other Christians around him to keep them going and he says in verse two this is that declaration again correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction And so Timothy is to ensure that the next generation are well-equipped, that they they are preached at, that they receive the gospel well. Now I wonder sometimes when we come to God's word, do we approach it in the right manner? We have all been brought up in an education system that encourages critical thinking and questioning. And I think sometimes we can approach the Bible in the same way and we can start asking questions of it rather than coming with reverence to be spiritually hydrated. Do you need spiritually hydrating this morning? Are you running on a little bit of empty? Do you need God's word to just replenish you at that deeper level? Do we need to come to the well of the Holy Spirit, you know, the living waters? Every time you come in this church, remember that this carpet down here signifies the living waters flowing that that, that are just released from God to give us spiritual life and vitality. We also need each other, don't we? Cheering one another on, keeping each other going. And if you've got the habit of being with one another as Christians, can I encourage you, get back into that habit. We need one another. We are better together. So keeping going. And then finally, finishing the race. How's your race going? How's your race of your, your faith going? Are you sustained? Are you heading well to the finishing line. Now, two Timothy, we've heard how false teachers were, were coming in and they were sort of undermining the faith in Jesus. Some people were rejecting faith and some people's faith had been destroyed. And Paul also picks up this theme in his first letter to Timothy. Timothy um, sorry, 1 Timothy 1, verse 19. He says this, Holding on to a faith and good conscience which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to our faith. And very sadly, sometimes faith which looks okay in people's lives can suddenly seem to vanish. It can suddenly seem to be destroyed. Now, timothys um, the way that Paul writes to Timothy is not about theory of what is going on in the background. It's not, is this faith genuine to start with? But it's a pastoral concern. You know, sometimes people whose faith looks strong then get, then get distracted and can go off beam. Not everyone who starts the race finishes the race well. And that's a real sobering thought for us, isn't it? To make sure that that isn't us, and to encourage it not to be those round about us. Now, Paul, as he writes these final words, he knows that death awaits him. Now, we don't know when we will die. We do know it was sooner. it is, it is sooner than it was at the start of the service. <laughs> that's another sobering thought for you. We also know that the older we get, the more likely it is to be sooner, although that is not guaranteed. Sometimes, sadly, death just breaks into our experience and cuts the life really short. But finishing well, finishing well, this is what Paul is on about. He knows that he has survived to the end with his faith in Jesus intact. He knows that martyrdom is round the corner, he knows what is coming. And he knows that his race is complete. He has not descended, as is so easy to do, into cynicism, bitterness, regret, what ifs, all those kind of things. But rather, he is still absolutely passionate that Jesus is who he says he is. That the gospel is God's power for salvation. And finishing well is so important. Finishing well is so important. And we get this in verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. If you finish a marathon, you probably get an award for finishing it. You'll get a medal. You'll get something to say, well done. Now this is slightly different in terms of what Paul is talking about. Because there are two words in there that I think are really important. The crown of righteousness and the Lord who is the righteous judge. This is not something Paul has earned. Paul does not earn a finishing line um, commendation through good behavior. We do not earn our way to God. We are gods because of what Jesus has done for us. The one who is fully righteous gives us his righteousness. And so we get that crown because Jesus has won it for us. But Paul has kept on track. And I just love this image, you know, that Paul, sadly martyred for his faith, comes over the finishing line to a royal welcome from the King of Kings, from Jesus, his friend. He has kept going to the end. And so the question, how are we doing? How is your race going are you hydrated on the journey are you being cheered on by those around about you or is the reverse true have you got a bit spiritually dehydrated are you actually feeling in need of refreshment have you got a little bit out of track and actually there are those around you who aren't cheering you on because you're not in the right place there are those pulling you rather than cheering you i just want us to spend a moment and just think for a moment how is your race of faith going If you've joined in, if you're running, if you're aiming for the finishing line, how is it going? I'm just going to leave us some space, just a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to pray for us. Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. It's reminded of the words of a very old song that I used to sing that simply says, let your living water pour over my soul. And Lord, perhaps that is our prayer this morning, that we just need rehydrating on our race of faith. So perhaps now, just even in the stillness, perhaps just reach out to the Lord and say, Lord, by your spirit, would you refresh me? Would you give me the passion to keep going? Making us thankful for those who pass the baton of this race onto us and those who are urging us forward. Lord, would you keep us faithful? Lord, we pray that we too, just like Paul, might be able to say those words. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. And Lord Jesus, as we take communion in a few moments' time, we do long for the day when you return, when all sadness and sickness is gone, and when we can be with you forever. But Lord, until that day, Keep us running that race with you. Keep us refreshed. Keep us on track, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen.